text today. Second Kings, the fifth chapter, verse number one. You find these words, now Naaman, captain of the host of the Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leopard. But he was a leopard. Uh, I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes or as the spirit leads from the subject matter, when you are desperate for a healing touch, when you are desperate for a healing touch. Over what, 43 years ago, somewhere right in there, 45 years ago, the title of my message was Go Take a Bath. But I think I've matured since then. And so my title today is When You Are Desperate for a Healing Touch. Of course, when you look at the word desperate, it just simply means in urgent need. It means to be ancient. It means to be frantic. It means to be eager. Oftentimes we become desperate. But I want to talk about that when we are desperate for a healing touch. You know, people in pain want help. Whether that pain is from emotional or physical scars. Jesus oftentimes encountered people in pain, such as the man with leprosy and the sick servant of a centurion. <clears throat> That's recorded in the eighth chapter of the book of St. Matthew's. These people were desperate. And uh, so was an Old Testament character by the name of Naaman. He needed healing. And he was healed in a rather unusual way. That way and that healing changed his life forever. And so today's message will remind us that God's ways are not our ways. But following the ways of God can change one's life forever. I want to start off by saying that there was a story that was once told of a little girl by the name of Brenda. And during the first day of speech class, the teacher was going around the room having the students introduce themselves. And each student was to respond to the questions, what do you like about yourself and what you don't like about yourself? And so nearly hiding at the back of the room was Brenda. Her long black hair hung down around her face, almost obscuring it from view. And when it was Brenda's turn to introduce herself, there was only silence in the room. Thinking perhaps she had not heard the question, the teacher moved her chair over near Brenda's chair and gently repeated the question. Again, there was a silence. And so finally, with a deep sigh, Brenda sat up in her chair, pulled back her hair, and in the process, she revealed her face. And covering nearly all of one side of her face was a large, irregularly shaped birthmark, nearly as dark as her hair. 
that, she said, should show you what I don't like about myself. And so here was a young lady devastated by her shocking birthmark. She was desperate for a meaningful touch. And so so was Naaman. So was Naaman. Naaman had caught leprosy, a profoundly serious skin disease that would eventually disable him. But great hope was aroused within Naaman. And note, if you will, why. It was simply because he listened to a strong witness for the Lord. Keep your Bibles open, 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. Glance down at verses 1 through 3. Because when you look at verses 1 through 3, it will tell you in regards to Naaman's physical condition. You have to understand that Naaman was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of his day the military leader of one of the region's most powerful nations. He was a definite candidate for who's who in the world. He was the cream of the crop, lived among the upper crust, and caroused among the elite. But the Bible says that Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a great man in his master's sight, highly regarded, because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a brave warrior. Did you hear those descriptive words I just read? Don't we all want people to use them for us? Notice the word commander, great, <clears throat> high regarded victorious, noble. Here, here, here was a man that had power, position, and prestige. He was successful. He was a winner. He was wealthy. He was a hero. He was respected and admired. And at the same time, he was envied. But, B-U-T, but, a three-letter conjunction. That small word changes everything. Notice, notice what the text says. But he was a leopard. In other words, he had a skin disease. And, the, and he could think about all of his accomplishments. He could enjoy his power and position and prestige. He could admire his home and his wealth, but they all seemed to vanish as he stared into the mirror each day because each time he looked at himself, there was something looking back that defined his life. He was a leopard and nothing could change that. The fact is that Naaman was a leper. Leprosy was the AIDS of Naaman's day. Lepers were isolated and humiliated. They were outcasts, the original untouchables. They were forced to wear torn clothing and shout, unclean, unclean. Anytime they encountered an uninfected person. Leprosy, in fact, was the most uh, feared disease of the day. 
It was extremely contagious. And in many cases, it was incurable. In its worst forms, <clears throat> leprosy led to death. Now, granted, Naaman's leprosy was probably in his infant stage, or maybe he just had a mild form of it. He had concealed it. But now, when you look in this fifth chapter, his clothing would not cover it up any longer. And so while people treated him respectfully, now nobody would touch him. And the lack of touch hurt Naaman deeply. And like Naaman and like Brenda, we too, if we would be transparent, we long for meaningful touch. Why is it? Why is it? Why is it that when, when we are away for a long time of our relatives, that when we finally get to reunite ourselves, we always embrace them with a touch? Why is it that when children are sad, they want their parents to hug them? They just simply need a touch. Why is it that we squeeze the widow's hand at her husband's funeral? It's simply because they just need a touch. Why is it that we sympathetically put pat the shoulder of the defeated athlete? Why do we bear hug long lost friends? Why is it that we hold our babies? It's simply because touch brings comfort. Touch conveys acceptance. Touch promotes health. Touch imparts wholeness. Everybody, every now and then, is in need of a touch. Can you imagine, can you imagine, stumbling through life without being touched, without someone holding your hand when you are lost? without someone slapping you on your shoulder for a job well done, without being embraced after being gone on a two-week trip. Well, Naaman did not have to imagine. It was reality for him because his leprosy was his birthmark. I'm going to say it again. His leprosy was his birthmark. By the way, by the way, may I please ask, what is your birthmark? What is your leprosy? What problems are you trying to conceal? What hurt are you trying to cover up? What prevents you from getting close to other people? Where do you need to be touched? We too, like Naaman and Brenda in our story, we have our disfigurements. We too have become very proficient in covering up our problems. We too need God's healing touch. We too, like the old spiritual says, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. I'm the one standing in the need, can I say, of a touch. It's not my mother, not my father. It's not my sister, nor my brother. But God, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. I just want to talk to you for a few minutes. But then when you glance down 
at verse number four through verse 12. We already observed here Naaman's physical condition. But then I noticed something as I kept reading the text. I noticed the prescriptive cure. Yes, the prescriptive cure. Ah, so what do we do? Where do we find help? Where do we go for healing? Well, I need y'all to know, <laughs> in a word, we simply go down. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. We simply go down. While down is contrary to the direction we are encouraged, challenged, and even rewarded to go in our world, you have to understand down is the way we must go if we are to find healing. I'm talking about healing physically, healing emotionally. I'm talking about healing spiritually. Down is the way. We must go if we are to find healing. Down is the route we must take if we are going to feel the touch of the Almighty God. Notice, if you will, yeah, bless your name, Jesus. Notice the contrast in Naaman's journey. When you read that fifth chapter, you will discover Naaman, the commander in chief, finds direction through a captive serv servant, his wife slave. Notice Naaman, the conqueror, finds help in a conquered nation, Israel. Notice Naaman, the highly regarded man, learns of his treatment from a lonely prophet by the name of Elijah. Notice Naaman, the wealthy and courageous soldier. He's cured in a dirty river called the Jordan. Well, my brothers and my sisters, I'm going to feel like preaching in a minute. What can we learn from this downward descent? What can we learn? What can we learn? Well, let's stay with the Bible. Because when you glance at verses 2 and 3, what you will learn in the midst of your downward descent is simply this, is that we need people in our lives who look past our haughtiness to see our hurt. Well, I'm going to let that sink in. We need people in our lives hey, who will look past our haughtiness to see our hurt. Naaman's wife, servant, had been taken hostage from an Iranian raid into Israel. Now she served in Naaman's house, tending to his wife's every need. She's not intimidated by Naaman's power, position, or his prestige. All she sees, she sees his pain. She don't see his position. She don't see Oh, my God, people bowing down to him. All she sees is his pain. And guess what? She calls it by name. And not only did she see the pain and call it by name, but she also knew of a pain reliever. Yeah, and she told Naaman yeah, where he could go find help. 
It's our number one. We all need people in our lives who will look past our haughtiness to see our hurt. But then not only do we need people to look past our haughtiness, but we need humble people in our lives who will look past us. Oh, yeah, they got to look past us. Who look past our job titles, look past our bank accounts, look past how many cars we drive, look past how large our homes are, and see our loneliness and our need and our, our hurt. I might not be talking to everybody, but I'm talking to somebody here today because we need people who will call our problems like they see them. We need people who will see our blind spots. We need people in our lives who love us enough to not let us make stupid mistakes. I'm just wondering if there's anybody that I'm talking to that said, I need humble people in my lives, in my life, that will look past me. We need humble people in our lives who observe that lived honestly, life is a crisis. Life is difficult. Life is surprising. And life can be overwhelming. Uh, we need some folk who will admit that every day is not hotty hotty. Every moment is not hallelujah anyhow. I want to talk to some of you all that know that life sometimes become overwhelming. Life sometimes become hard. Oh, we know the scripture. Hallelujah. We know that he says, I come, that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And we believe God's word and we trust God's word. But every now and then, we've got to admit that life can be difficult. Life can be surprising. And life can be overwhelming. And we need people in our lives, hallelujah, who can look past us. Not only do we need people in our lives that will look past us, but we need people in our lives who will demonstrate the four C's of loving relationship. The four C's of loving relationships. The first C is concern. In other words, they speak the truth in love to us. The second C is commitment. In other words, they walk through the pain with us. The third C is confidentiality. In other words, they know the struggles are kept between us. And then the last C is consistency. In other words, they maintain regular contact with us. We need people in our lives that show concern, commitment, confidentiality, and consistency. And in practicing these steps, these trusted partners are saying to us, I believe the best in you. And I'm going to help you become your very best. That's what that little maid servant was saying. Hey, to Brother Naaman, I see the best in you. 
Don't allow your leprosy to dictate your entire life. I know a pain reliever. I know where you can go. Well, can I let y'all know that there are, there are different types of people. Now, those that practice the four C's, these types of relationships are balcony people. I want you to put that in the chat, balcony people. Yeah, balcony people. Yeah, everybody, everybody has balcony people and basement people in their lives. Every one of us, we have balcony people and we have basement people in our lives. Basement people drag you down. Balcony people lift you up. Who are the balcony people in your life? Who are the people that are trying to help pull you up? Who are the people that believe the best about you and are helping you become your best? Who are the people that look beyond your outward appearance and really see your inward hurt? Who are those people? My God, your balcony people. Well, I better move on unless I preach too long here today. Not only do we need those type of relationships, but when I glance at verse four and five, I cannot help but to see that we need not only people in our lives, but we need places in our lives that will provide us with safety and security. You have to understand that Israel was a conquered nation. To Naaman, to Naaman, it was a second-rate third-world country. What did it have to offer? Militarily, it did not present much of a threat, but spiritually, it provided refuge. The nation of Israel is, uh, my God, present throughout the scripture as a metaphor for the church. The church is supposed to be a safe place. Somebody ought to shout a safe place, a place that gives a caring touch in an uncaring world, a place that provides sanctuary, protection, and comfort from those that would seek to assault. It's a place that extends a supportive and oftentimes healing hand to those in trouble. Do you realize that we have people who come to our churches, they come to the altar, who do not get touched until they come back the next week and until they come back to the altar again. I need y'all to know something. Just hold on just a little while longer. God's getting ready to open up the doors of the church. And I know, and I don't intend to debate it with nobody, I know we are the church. But I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Don't believe the lie that you hear that the church is over and that we don't need buildings no more. You can fall into that lie if you want to. But I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house. Because there's something about the house. That's another message. Let me move on. Let me move on. Because there's something about God's house that you can't get at your house. Uh, let me move on here. Uh, you got to understand that Israel was a safe place for Naaman. 
Oh, but before I leave this stop, before I leave this stop, I want you to notice that when Naaman first entered Israel, he was in the right place, but speaking to the wrong person. Lord, I'm going to give you time to write that down. Because you could be in the right place, but you could speak to the wrong person. Naaman was in the right place, but he was speaking to the wrong person. He first went to the king of Israel, but the king could not help him. In fact, the king misunderstood his coming altogether. And the king thought Naaman was trying to pick a fight. The fact is that many people come to the right place every Sunday. They come to the church, but they speak to the wrong person. My God, they come believe it or not, to impress their friends with the money that they have, to astound their pewmates with the clothes that they wear. Some come to even amaze the pastor with the credentials they possess. And all the while, they miss the main event. Please don't, oh my God, be on here virtually and still miss the main event. They talk to their friends. They even talk to the pastor. And don't misunderstand and don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with talking with people. In fact, it's the only right thing to do. But if that is all we dialogue with, then we have missed talking with the right person. And that is God himself. And I want to know, is there anybody, have you had a talk with God this morning? Have you had a talk with God since you've been on here virtually? It appears to me, God help us, it appears to me that Christian worship have given away to religious theatrics. And it seems like entertainment has replaced experience. Well, I need y'all to know something. God said, I'm tired of the entertainment. I want you to have a personal experience with me. You may not be able to carry the key to see in a paper bag. It might slip through the bag. Your key may not even be on the keyboard. But God said, that's all right. Just give me your best. Because all I want you to do is have an experience with me. And how many of y'all know right where you're sitting? In the midst of your hurt. In the midst of your confusion, in the midst of distortedness, in the midst of not knowing which way to go, you can have an experience with God. I want to know, do you talk to God? Do you talk to God when you come to church? Are you on here trying to see who's on? Are you down here trying to observe everybody's background? Are you out here talking about, look at the lighting over there. That ain't why we're here. We're here to have an experience with God. Because how many of you all know all God's got to do, I feel like preaching, is speak the word. God can speak the word. You can receive your healing by looking at the screen. You can receive your deliverance by having the phone up to your ear. You can receive what you need from God if you only experience a touch from God. He wants to heal us. He wants to touch us. 
God want to scoop us up in his arms. God want to give you a big hug. God knows we're getting tired. God knows we've been in here for six months plus. God knows the frustration. God knows you're trying to work at home. At the same time, raise your kids. And at the same time now, you become a teacher. You become a principal in one day trying to deal with your children's homeschool. Well, I stopped by here to let somebody know. God want to give you a big hug. Oh, why don't you hug yourself right where you're sitting? Just hug yourself right where you're sitting. That's God hugging you. Rock back and forth. Rock, I got to move on because I'm preaching too long. But rock back and forth. That's God rocking you. If some of y'all refuse to rock, you so sad. But that's okay. God want to rock you. He want to rock you in the cradle of his love. Well, glance down in verse number eight. Glance down in verse number eight. Uh, we need someone in our lives who will point us to our cure. Watch it. We need somebody who will point us to our cure. We need somebody that will point us to our recovery. We need somebody that will point us to our blessing. Hey, we need somebody. Hallelujah. Quit talking about you don't need nobody. God talks directly with you. The devil is a liar. You're going to stay stuck for the rest of your life. All of us need somebody in our lives that will point us to our cure. And so what? look at verse number eight. Naming goes to Elijah, the prophet in Samaria. Y'all do remember Samaria, don't you? Now notice something. If Israel were a second-rate, third-world country, that meant that Samaria would have been the armpit of the second-rate, third-world country. Samaria was despised by the Israelites. And so when Naaman arrives at Elijah's dusty enclave, in other words, when he arrived in the ghetto, it was a far cry from Jerusalem's splendor. Elijah sends out a servant. Well, I feel like I'm rushing. Somebody put in the chat, take your time, Pastor. Take your time. Put it in there. I got to see it in order for me to move on here. Uh, Elijah, Elijah sends uh -huh, out his servant. And that Naaman, notice when you read the text. Thank you, thank you. Naaman had been remarkably flexible and good-natured, willingly traveling out to the prophet's remote colony to act for the healing touch. But when Elijah's servant shows up at the door with instructions for the cure, I need y'all to understand this. Naaman is annoyed. He becomes outraged. And he got angry. He is not only sweating bullets from the dusty desert, but now he is ready to spit bullets in the direction of Elijah. How many of you all know that a real prophet, can I talk about a real prophet? I'm not talking about these man-made prophets. I'm not talking about these folk going on Google and buying a prophet license for $15. I'm talking about a real prophet. Let me help you all here. 
Prophets have that effect on people. Huh? Prophets, they don't be around the bush. Fact of the matter is, sometimes a real prophet, they even lack tact. In other words, they get to the point. They tell it like it is. And I want to let you know, sometimes a real prophet, yeah, they often offend and insult. Somebody said, well, that's not a prophet. Because if that's a real prophet, the Bible said we ought to come in the spirit of meekness and in love. Well, the Bible also tells us that the gospel is an offense. In other words, those that don't believe God, hallelujah, the gospel becomes an offense to them. And so with a real prophet, they often offend and insult. But guess what? They speak the truth. And when you are face to face with a disease that is going to take your life, you've got to decide if you want comfort and convenience or if you want a cure. Which one do you want? Do you want to be made whole or do you want somebody patting you on the back, sweet talking you, telling you everything is all right when they know it's not all right? It's like visiting a doctor who is a specialist for a potentially deadly disease that no other doctor seems to provide an answer, much less a cure. The doctor, long on knowledge, but short on bedside manners. He begins to poke at you. He probes. He does everything else. Finally, he addresses you with the tack of a doorknob. But guess what? He has a treatment. He has a cure and an answer for your condition. And isn't that what we want? Hey, my God, don't we just want the cure? Don't you just want the blessing? Don't you just want the healing? Don't you just want the miracle? When you look in Matthew's, the 15th chapter, my God, there's a Canaanite woman. In the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 25, it says, then came she and worshiped him, talking about Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. That don't sound like tact to me. Y'all ain't got to talk back here to me. But notice what this woman said, because she needed help. She says, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. You got to change your attitude. You got to change your perspective. Call me a dog. You got the cure. Call me a cat. You got my answer. Y'all ain't helping me here. With all I know, hey, is I come for the cure. And so name and let me rush on. Almost rejected his opportunity for healing by getting angry. That Elijah did not show up to greet him at the door. And Elijah had not read his manners book for how to act when foreign dignitaries arrived. Yeah, he, he, he may not have had the tact, but guess what? He had the treatment. He may not have had compassion, but guess what? He had the, the cure. Naaman was part, yeah, Naaman was part of the pastor's only crowd. I'm going to say it. <laughs> He's a part of the pastor's only crowd. Some believe that they cannot be ministered to if the pastor don't do the ministering. They can't be prayed for. If the pastor doesn't do the praying, come on here. They will, they, they don't preach to me. 
If it ain't the pastor doing the preaching, some folk don't even want to be visited by nobody else but the pastor. Name and had a pastor-only mentality. And can I help all you pastor-only folk? Whether you on Zoom, Facebook, YouTube, or any other kind of tube, you got to get out of that pastors-only crowd. Because how many of y'all know God used more people? Hey. God used more people than the pastor. And so Naaman was a big shot in his country. And he, he wanted a big shot prophet to meet him at the door and healing. He wanted this prophet to jump and shout and dance and put on a big show for his healing to occur. But God does not. He always send blessings in the people we want and the vehicle that we want. Often God chooses the lowly person through ordinary means to accomplish his healing. Be careful, be careful. If you are the pastor only crowd or the big shot only crowd, because God might send a servant. Hey, God might send somebody who haven't finished the third grade to touch you and to heal you. You may miss the blessing if you are looking the wrong way. Many have received the touch of God and the healing of his power, but because it was not spectacular, have attributed to coincident or logic. Honey, don't do it. Mm. There are some things that only God can do. Well, let me get ready to wrap it up. <clears throat> but look at verse number 10. Look at verse number 10. We all need a prescription for our lives that will lead to a healing touch. We all need a prescription for our lives that will lead to a healing touch. Elijah's prescription for healing was bizarre. It don't get no worse than this. <laughs> Go wash seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. Well, if I had my organist, this is where I start hooping. He said, go wash seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. That's in verse number 10. Come on now. Get real. Get real. Get real. Let's retrace quickly. Let's retrace. Commander in chief, Naaman's downward descent. He receives instructions from a slave girl to go. My God, that's been conquered. Here he is in Israel. He said to a lowly prophet, my God, he's giving instructions to go down a dirty, dingy road and then go down the dirty, dingy river called Jordan and bathe not just once, but seven times. And in case you've forgotten, my God, you're geographic and you're a Bible student. The Jordan River, which means the descender, it flows through a rift valley and its headwaters lie more than a thousand feet above sea, uh, level at the Sea of Galilee. And its mouth nearly 1,300 feet below sea level at the Dead Sea. So to go to the Jordan River, you had to go down. And somebody need to take a trip to the Jordan River here today. 
Yeah, that's crazy. Crazy. Name is said, that's crazy. Seven ducks in a dirty pond. He said, that's crazy. Why should I go there? We got better rivers that we can go and dip seven times. Name and doubt it that God's prescription for healing could really do anything. Naaman did not realize that the power was not in the water, but was manifested in the water by my God doing what God told him to do. And can I tell y'all something? Healing always comes from doing what God says. And so Naaman, he continues to doubt when he entered the Jordan and he came up still a leopard. But God had to remind him that when the Lord says seven, six will not do. And I need somebody to hear me. When the Lord says seven, six will not do. Well, let me close. Let me close because at this point, I tell you, he went down the first time, came back up, didn't know nothing. Went down. I'd be hooping by now, but I ain't going to do it today. The second time, came back up, and didn't that happen. And I would take y'all all the way to the seventh time that he went down. And guess what? When he came back up on my God, the seventh time, the Bible says his leprosy was gone. Fact of the matter is, it was so clean that his skin looked like baby skin. It was nice and soft. Why? Because he obeyed. He obeyed God. He obeyed the servant girl to go down. And so why must Naaman, you and I for that matter, descend downward to receive whatever healing that we need? We must, hallelujah, have a compliant attitude toward God's instructions. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, verse number five. He says, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. We must scrape bottom before we can start up. We must look at death before we can see life. We must taste pain before we can experience joy. We must humble ourselves to lowly places and lowly people before we can feel the hand of God lifting us up. The Bible says Naaman was that low. He finally humbled himself. And because he humbled himself, because he went down to the river Jordan, my God, if his leprosy defined his earlier life, it was God's healing touch that redefined his life later. And having experienced the grace of God, he was changed not only physically, but spiritually and vocationally. Naaman stood before Elijah. Here's what happened when we were obedient. He stood before Elijah and said, I know 
There's no God in the whole world except in Israel. <laughs> How many of y'all have that testimony that I know that there is a God? There is a God. And then when you look at that 15th verse, I can't let that one go. He says, please accept the gift <laughs> from thy service. Please take this gift. You've blessed me. You've helped me. Is there anybody who come to, come to church today that say, God, I need a touch. I need, I need a touch. If we are honest with ourselves, we all desperately need the touch of God. Will you humble yourself before God so that God can touch you? I know you feel like singing, he touched me, he touched me. And all the joy that filled my soul, something happened and now I know he touched me. You depressed right now, but he touched you. Yeah, you should have known I was going to flip the script. Come on, you confused right now, but oh, the joy. What joy? You ain't showing it. No, we in need. Somebody say of another touch. Come on, put that in the chat. I need another chat. That joy is gone. I need another touch. That peace seemed to be gone. I need another touch. Y'all ain't going to talk back here to me. We got to be transparent. Amen. I'm a little confused right now. I need another touch. All of us desperately, we need another touch from the Lord. Will you be obedient to his instructions? And will you allow God to heal you? Well, I've preached long enough today. But that brings us back to Brenda. We got, we got to go back to Brenda, the student in the speech class that showed the others the one thing that she did not like about herself, her large, irregularly shaped birthmark that covered nearly all of one side of her face. Moved with compassion, moved with compassion. The godly professor leaned over and gave Brenda a hug. And then she kissed her on her cheek where the birthmark was. And she said, that's okay, honey. God and I still think that you're beautiful. I want you all to know, God and I still think that you're beautiful. And you look much better in your future than you look right now. Brenda cried uncontrollably for almost 20 minutes. And then soon other students had gathered around her and was offering their comfort as well. And when she finally could talk, she dabbed the tears from her eyes. And she said to her professor, I've wanted so much for someone to hug me and say what you said. She said, why couldn't my parents do that? She said, my mother won't ever touch my face. Brenda, just like Naaman, had a layer of inner pain trapped beneath the outward scars. She was in need for a healing touch. Every eye closed. I know I took my time and preached today. Every eye closed. Don't even look around. Are you desperate? Are you desperate? 
Are you hiding underneath the layers of the inner pain? Hiding beneath the outward scars. But today you say, God, I need a healing touch. When we get desperate, we will go to whatever lengths necessary to experience the touch and feel the grace. Even when God says to us to humble ourselves by going down and washing in a dirty river. Are you that desperate today? Are you that desperate to where you are willing to go wash in a dirty Jordan? Pastor, what do you mean by go wash in a dirty in a dirty river called Jordan? In other words, are you just simply willing to humble yourself to the degree that you allow God to whatever that need is, to touch you just one more time. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. But as I pray, I want you right where you are to feel God's hand touching you. He's more than enough. He's all that we need. Now, God, I share with your people which you've placed on my heart to share. And God, you have declared that your word will not go forth void, but it would accomplish what you set out for it to accomplish. God, somebody here today is in desperate need of a healing touch. God, it could be physically. It could be mentally. It could be emotionally. It could be spiritually. But God, whatever it is, my God, touch them now as I pray. Right where we are, hallelujah, God, touch. From the top of their head down to the soles of their feet, God, touch in the name of Jesus. You made all of us. You know our uprising. You know our downsetting. You know, when we go out, you know, when we come back in, God, you know. You know what's beneath every scar. You know what's beneath every scar. Under all of the layers, God, you're the only one that have power to do what no other power can do. Do it now in the mighty name of Jesus. And God, we thank you. Those that don't know your daughter, son, Jesus, as personal savior. God, save them before it's too late. Draw them before it's too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God. Amen.